What is up? What is happening? What is going on tonight? Uh, hey, you know, had a little, uh, kind of close there. Uh, laid down, got home from work, you know, since I'm an essential worker. And, uh, came home and, uh, got a little too comfortable and passed out. Next thing you know, I thought, uh, you know, I had to jump up and get every, condense everything I do in 10 minutes or in three hours down to 10 minutes, so, or 20 minutes. So, anyways, we're on a little late tonight. But anyways, you could... I'm Kevin Steele. You can find me on Twitter at FantasyRat13. You can find my co-host, Cody Kutzer, at CKutzerFF. I'm happy for everybody to join us. Uh, we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about tonight. You know, the NFL draft has finally fucking happened, and we can stop talking about, well, they land here, or, you know, well, it's going to depend on where he lands. You know, all that stuff's gone. We know exactly where everybody's going. So the NFL draft is amazing. First off, I want to thank everybody who joined us over those two-day period where we live-streamed on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope. It was a lot of fun. I think we ended up almost being about 10 hours worth of streaming between those two days. Had a ton of guests on. Um, so, and I want to thank Cody and Ryan and Ben for joining us for the entire thing. It was so much fun. We got to have a lot of good conversations and just kind of interact with a lot of people. So people enjoyed that. How's it going tonight, Cody? It's going really well, man. Like you said, just appreciate everyone who joined us through the the first two days, both the hosts and everyone who was uh, engaging and interacting with us. It was It was a lot of fun and just happy to it was nice to have those couple of days you know what i mean to actually be able to digest what had just happened during the during the draft because like during that stream man with getting people in and out and sending links and trying to set everything out and putting out tweets and everything else it was th- those 10 hours went by a lot faster than that so it was nice to kind of buckle down go through these look at everything trying to figure out some some quick you know some some quick thoughts just over the the limited amount of information that we have right now. So happy to happy to be back on and chop this up and talk about some some dynasty and redraft implications from the from the draft. Yeah, yeah, I mean, redraft is another thing too, right? Because I mean, if you look at it, when redraft, we we're not that far away. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, it is eight, late April. We're almost into May. You know, I, we're not going to get the same OTAs and everything else because everything that's going on in the world. So we're not going to get that information that, that we normally would get right now. Normally, we're like, oh, OTAs, who cares? Now, I think all of us would be like, man, I'd love to have OTAs right now <laughs> to talk about. Anyways, I mean, we're, really, we're two or three months away probably at the most. Uh, you know, draft season is in August. That's not that far away. So uh, I think you can start to at least initially start to look at redraft stuff. And, um, you know, all the redraft players will start coming back here for two long so yeah and then you have dynasty with all the, the rookie drafts going on and we still have best ball going on to just kind of dive into as well i guess let's get right into it uh first thing uh question of the week uh we'll have two of those today first one is what is your favorite rookie landing spot for any rookie in this draft either put it in the comments or reach out to us on twitter and and, and let us know uh who what was your favorite rookie landing spot you know it doesn't necessarily have to be the chalk like jonathan taylor claudio Solaire. it could be you know maybe a sleeper running back or something like that um that you're really excited about let's get right to it um so as we mentioned i think right now in terms of oh well look, excuse me Let's, let's talk about a couple of news and notes. Not anything major. James Winston signs a one-year deal with the Saints. I think that could end up being a bigger deal than maybe what it could be. Uh, I think this is a perfect landing spot for him. He gets to go to Drew Brees, learn the offense. If anything happens to him, he gets to take over one of the best offenses in the league. And who knows? Maybe this is their, their quarterback of the future. So we'll see if it is. I think this is a, a great landing spot for him. Not something you want to invest in this year. But if anything happens to Drew Brees, it's wheels up for James Winston. And he instantly becomes a QB1. I don't know if, if you have any different opinion on that. No, I, I totally agree. The only thing that would that would make me hesitate is, obviously, if everything goes to plan 
in New Orleans, they're not going to get a great look at what James Winston would do in that offense. You know what I mean? So I don't know how willing they would be to pay him as a franchise quarterback, you know, basically going off of what his, what the last thing we saw from him on, on the NFL field was, which was 30 picks. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe they could manage that a little bit better. Um, but that, that'd be the only thing that would make me kind of, from a, from a dynasty perspective anyway, kind of being like, all right, he could be the guy in New Orleans going forward. Let me go out and try and, you know, obviously you're not going to be paying a lot for him right now anyway, so maybe it's a kind of a moot point. But just in terms of like a dynasty and forward-thinking mindset, like maybe he doesn't get to be the guy there because it is only that one-year deal. Maybe they do another one-year deal with him after that, but I don't know how willing Winston would be to do that. So, but if he could land there, man, that I think that'd be, man, that'd be so much fun to see him, see him in new Orleans with another high flying offense like that. Yeah. So essentially I, I think the way they would get to see him uh, would be through practice, you know, being able to watch him every day in practice and, and kind of see how he, how he goes about himself, you know, see if he's turned any corner. I know he had the eye, you know, what the LASIK eye surgery or whatever over the off season as well. So I think that could end up helping. I don't know. Um, old squints Winston. Uh, so we'll, we'll see on that one, but uh, that's just something to, to log away for later. And then not that it has any fantasy implications, but the Chiefs released Dustin, uh, Dustin Colquitt after 15 years to save him two million against the cap. Here locally, people aren't really happy about it. Because Dustin Colquitt, for a long time, for a while, was the Chiefs MVP. Like, like no doubt. Like, I'm not. That's not even like hyperbole. It's not joking around. Like, seriously, like he was our best offensive weapon for for some years. Okay, like, <laughs> like that. We would talk about it every year. Like around here, like, I was like, man, like Dustin Colquitt's our best player. Like that. That's embarrassing. But like the dude's an absolute beast. Like he's, he is a really good punter. Really, really good dude. He was actually up for the Walter Payton Man of the Year award last year. So I mean, he wins the Super Bowl with us. But yeah, I mean, they let him go after 15 years. So not that that's huge news for anything fantasy wise. But hey. Hunters are people too, goddammit, okay? Like, you know, we, we just we just toss them aside like they don't like they don't matter. So you know, the only reason why, let's be honest. The only reason why this made it onto the show is because it was the Chiefs. If, let's, if let's, this was if this was like the Steelers fifteenth <laughs> year hunter, this this wouldn't be uh, a news and note at all. <laughs> it, that is true. That is true. But whenever I guess you host stuff, you you know, you you, you get the yeah, advantage yeah. of being able to say stuff. So you you're right. You can call me out all you want. That is one hundred percent accurate. If, if anything has to do with the Chiefs, which actually also right before we came on, Rashad Breeland was arrested today for uh which is our uh, one of our best corners uh, for uh, he had some alcohol in the car that was open, some little little minor bit of weed. So it sounds like it's all like misdemeanor stuff. Been hanging but, out with Kareem Hunt, huh? Yeah, I guess so. Down uh, down in the South Carolina area. So way to go. So we'll see what happens with that. But anyways, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Let's start talking about these guys. So we're going to talk about the running back position first. So again, question of the day, uh, question of the week. What is your favorite favorite rookie running back landing spot? So let's start right here. I think there's the two, right? You have uh, Clyde Edwards-Solaire and you have DeAndre Swift, right? Or not DeAndre Swift, excuse me, and Jonathan Taylor. I think for most people, those are the kind of the one and two for people. People are going to go back and forth. People are going to go with Jonathan Taylor. Other people are going to go with Clyde Edwards-Solaire. Let's just go with the guy, start first with the guy who has the best draft capital, who's the only running back that was drafted in the first round, which was somewhat a surprise because I know I've said a lot that I didn't think that the Chiefs would take a running back in the first round at all. And if you go back and look at their, their history, they, like Andy Reid never has. I mean, he's never done it. 
And he's only taken three running backs in the top 100, and they were th- uh, third-round picks. This was a surprising move, but at the same time, they're also a team that doesn't really... They don't have a ton of holes right now because they, they brought back, I think, 20 of 22 starters from last year's team. So they don't, they're not a team that's really looking for a lot. So I think they just kind of swung for the fences, and they, they felt like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is kind of that you know missing piece that they don't have at, a, at the running back position. What do you expect, or do you... Um, expect for Clyde Edwards Hilaire to receive do you, do you think he's going to receive the bulk of the touches there so just as an overall arching theme for this conversation I think a lot of this is going to depend on what kind of mini camp OTA training camp stuff that we get right because we we typically see it, it's been kind of going against the the norm for rookies to come in and produce right out the gate, right off the bat. So I think a lot of this is going to depend on how that all shakes out. But even if that doesn't happen, and I know you have a, a, a different a different thought on this, or at least you did whenever we last talked. I think that's Clyde's job, even if it's only... 55-45. I think he takes a majority of those touches sooner rather than later. I don't think that they, you know, like you were, like you just said about Andy Reid and his history with taking with taking running backs. Um, we we don't even have to talk about the coach speak about the whole Brian Westbrook and he's better than he was and you know all that, but the the capital spent on him. I think he's more dynamic than Damian Williams. I think there's a, a reason why Damian Williams was in the position he was until he got to uh until he got to Kansas City. So whether that's week four or five, like I said, depending on how all the training camp OTA rookie minicamp stuff shakes out. I do think that by the end of the year, Clyde is going to be the uh the top back in that split. And I I mean maybe maybe you have a a more more to where I'm looking for, um, I guess a, a heftier opinion, a uh, a stronger opinion, I guess, in terms of how he would utilize a, a running back by com- uh, running back by committee. Um, I just either way, whether it's a 70-30, 60-40, by the end of the year, Edwards is going to be the guy. Um, but I think by you know, week four or five, that's that's still going to be his job, even if it's only like a 55-45 kind of split. Well, I, I don't think people should go into it looking at because Some people have started to lose their minds a little bit about, about Claudio Solaire, you know, and they're, you know, uh, Ray Garvin. So we, we highly respect, had him on the show a couple of weeks. I really respect his opinion. But, you know, a couple of days ago, he put out a tweet saying that uh, he thought that he could reach 100 receptions in year one. I respectfully disagree because... The one, the, the, there's not enough. There's not enough targets to go around for him to get 100 targets all of a sudden, right? If you look last year, the Chiefs only had 87 total receptions from from their running backs. I, I don't see that going all to him, and even if it does, like I, I don't think that they move any closer to that. Now you could say, well, Pat Mahomes, you know, was hurt there for a little while, and they were playing conservative, so possibly he could hit that. He could hit that threshold. The problem is, is that Damian Williams, like you mentioned, unless he goes down like a Spencer Ware did back when Kareem Hunt's rookie year was, uh, he's not going to get that kind of volume. I, Damian Williams is still going to get touches. Uh, Andy Reid, for better or for worse, it still uses some sort of uh, of committee. I think it could be much more of a 55-45 type split between the two of them, where Damian Williams still sees like 10 to 12 touches a week. And, you know, Cl- you know Clyde over Solaire sees 55 to 60. Now, 
I could also see it go the other way, where where Damian Williams gets the, the majority. Because one thing that Clyde Edwards-Solaire does struggle with is pass protection, and Andy Reid does not mess around with that. They're not going to allow. You know, I, I know Pat Mahomes is a mobile quarterback, and he can move around in the pocket and kind of and kind of make up for that sometimes. But like it. Like if you go back and you remember back whenever Kareem Hunt was there, that was one reason why he got pulled off the field a lot because he also struggled with pass protection at times, especially when he was young, or, uh, you know, a younger player, and he would get pulled off the field in favor of Spencer Way or, or Sharkandrick West, and that's the reason why they would bring Sharkandrick West back into that offense is because uh, is because of that. And people are like, well, what are they doing bringing in Sharkandrick West? You know, whenever they have Kareem Hunt, well, that's why because if he can't pick up you know the blitz, he's not going to be back there. He's he's going to see his role diminish because of it. And so I think with all those things, like I wouldn't expect that year one. Like I really like Clyde Edwards-Helaire long term, and I think this is the absolute perfect fit for him. Um, and this is the best running back the Chiefs probably could have added into their offense because of the, the skill fit and everything else. So I like his long-term outlook, and I think he could end up being the best running back in this class. And he, he certainly could have a range of outcomes of being an RB1 for this year. I actually have him ranked, I think, RB15. I went and updated my rankings with all these rookies uh, for my redraft rookie rank or my redraft rankings, I should say. I think I'm around 15 or 16. And Jonathan Taylor actually um, is, is really close for me. Now let's we can go ahead and jump over to Jonathan Taylor, uh, the other guy in this scenario. And the, the biggest question for him, I think, is do you do you project him to be a three down back? And I think it's easy to say, well, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, I, I think that he will be. But when you look at how Marlon Mack was used with with the Chief, or with the Colts, like Marlon Mack in college was was utilized as a pass catcher. Like and that was one of the big things we really liked about Marlon Mack was the fact that he that he could be a pass catcher. But he's never been targeted and he's never got that opportunity with the Colts I don't know why and the same concerns are for Jonathan Taylor is that Jonathan Taylor wasn't a prolific pass catcher I mean he showed to be adequate especially his his final year there at Wisconsin I could see a scenario where he is also not the pass catcher in the offense and he's more of a two down back and that's where they use people are gonna think that's crazy but I don't think that it's necessarily is now. Now Marlon Mack or Jonathan Taylor has has better draft capital than what Marlon Mack did, but I still think Naheem Hines is going to have a role there and is going to be utilized as a pass catcher. And so I think that's something people should be should be storing away, you know, especially year one because Marlon Mack is still there. But Marlon Mack, the one of the overarching stories for a lot of these guys is that the the the, the the guy that's still in that offense, like Marlon Mack, is going to be a free agent after this year. So next year, it'll be John Taylor's backfield. So but for year one, I still think they, they at least him and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, both have RB1, their, their range of outcomes. But I would feel a little bit more comfortable probably uh, putting them as RB2s right now. How, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I feel the same way. And the the thing where, because at first I started thinking about this, I saw the the little blur that they're envisioning a one-two punch between Taylor and Mac, um, which I mean, at this point, that could just be completely coach speak. If Taylor goes in there and just starts tearing it up, there's not really going to be any reason to take him off the field. But then I thought about a man. I was like, you know what? With with all of the touches that he amassed at Wisconsin, like for for dynasty players, like maybe that wouldn't be <laughs> the worst thing in the world to have him be the the one B to Max one A for for this year because going for like you said Marlon Max going to be a free agent that's going to turn to Jonathan Taylor's uh, backfield one way or another sooner or later the same thing I was talking about with Clyde Edwards Hilaire but that that is going to be the thing is is this just uh, like a weird two year kind of a anomaly where Marlon Mack was like he ran routes it's not like he wasn't quote unquote involved they just never amounted to 
targets, right? So Taylor's obviously the much more talented, uh, pure running back versus Marlon Mack. I think Mack finally had his first 1,000-yard season this past year. Um, He he has had – I don't think he's played a a full 16 games. But over the past two years, Mack's had between 56 and 62% of the running back carries – and that's kind of been around the same range for the for the running back rushing yards between 57 and 60% again from 2018 and 2019. So I think that's going to – I would expect that to tick up for Jonathan Taylor, not year one, but definitely in year two. That That's, that's going to be the thing, though, is might cap his ceiling is how involved will he be. I think if you look at Jonathan Taylor's collegiate receiving numbers, he basically wasn't utilized the first two years. His – Junior year he was, and I think that's that's just the thing, right? Is like he can be a competent piece to that passing game. You just have to make it a point to get him involved. I don't think he wasn't involved his first two years because he like couldn't catch. Like if 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 you're watching YouTube right now, you can see the you can see the screen with the measurables that he has up there. There's no way that an athlete like that, if you if you're trying to tell me that. Leonard Fournette, who had 70, what was it, like 74, 76 catches last year. If Leonard Fournette can do that, and we thought he was literally a zero in the passing game coming in uh, from LSU. If you're telling me that Jonathan Taylor couldn't run wheel routes, option routes, angle routes, that sort of thing with the athleticism that he has, which is something he clearly has over someone like Leonard Fournette, like I'm, I'm just not going to buy into that. So, how high will his ceiling be? I think that is to be determined still. But I mean, I, th- I think you're looking at a 1,200 yard rusher year in year out with with Taylor behind that offense behind that offensive line specifically. So, yeah, I mean, th- those are some of the pluses with him as well, right? Like you mentioned, the offensive line is one of the best in the league. I mean, he he did receive a 10.3 target share, 26 receptions in his in his in his final year um, at Wisconsin, uh, his junior year. So. Like I mentioned, I mean, I, I can't really add any more to it. Like, I, I think it's going to be something that we're going to have to sort of unpack and really sort of monitor once we finally get training camp, whenever that time comes, and and then readjust there. But again, like, I think these two landing spots for both of them are terrific because I, you know, I think they're both really good spots for the both of them. Yeah, I mean, I think I, have, I think I have job to Taylor at like nineteen or twenty. I have to look, but. Um, as of right now, I just give Clyde Edwards Hilaire just because I think he's going to be utilized a little bit more as a pass catcher, and I feel like Hilaire probably. I think he has. I think he has an opportunity to reach forty or fifty receptions in that offense. I, I think that that especially year one. I think for me, I, I wouldn't put a ceiling any more than like sixty, maybe seventy. But like right now, that's kind of where I have. Him. I haven't really done projections or anything yet, but like that's probably where I would have it. I would be floored if he got to 100. Now, I know a lot of people have said that his pass-catching ability is on par with Christian McCaffrey, which, uh, you know, kind of gets gets things uh, stern, if you know what I mean, down below when people start talking about th- those kinds of things. But, I mean, he's not the same type of player that, that Christian McCaffrey is, but I think he at least has the same uh, pass-catching ability as somebody like that. So, And then there's another guy who was also drafted early round two, and that's DeAndre Swift. And there's a lot of people talk about him, him also being an underrated pass-catcher there. And at least some people were a little surprised whenever he went to the Lions just because it's not like a, a, a huge need that they had. That they they maybe could they went in a different direction, but they they ended up bringing in DeAndre Swift. This is going to be a tough one. This is going to be another one to try to navigate the waters, which a lot of these guys are, because none of them just landed in a spot except for one guy, which we'll get to later. 
if anybody has been following in the last couple of days, they know what I'm talking about. That really fell into like just the absolute tits, right? This absolute nut spot, if you will. Okay. And, and, and that's DeAndre Swift. So DeAndre Swift with Carry On Johnson. Now, what do we do with Carry On Johnson is, is a good question. And also, what are we doing with DeAndre Swift? Because he's kind of the new toy. And again, he's kind of been the, throughout this whole process, like I think for a lot of people, he's not like the exciting guy. Like, no one was like, man, love me some DeAndre Swift. Like he's best running back in life. Everyone's like, ah, he's there. Yeah, he's top three or four for sure. Right. And now here we are. He lands with the Lions and people are like, ah, you know, hmm, yeah, you know, not really excited. You know, but uh, what is your take on this with him and Carry On Johnson in the offense? Is Carry On Johnson dead? Do you think DeAndre Swift is the best running back? You know, here and do you, what, where where are you seeing his usage go uh, come in? I've never been a big car- Carry On Johnson guy. I like I just haven't. Like I, I I wasn't on that train when he came out. I know a lot of guys who are smarter than I am, like Travis May. Like he he loved Carry On. Um, I mean, he obviously showed well during the preseason. He had a couple of nice games too, but like I was just never really, I was never really on that bandwagon. And I, he was kind of like one of those guys who was competent in the pass game. Like I didn't look at him as like a a weapon the way that I would like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or a DeAndre Swift. Now I think we're gonna have to wait and see how like how they utilize him because I could like the the thing with Detroit is just like there's like this weird cloud that now sits over top of DeAndre Swift just because of Detroit's like recent history with bell cow workhorse backs. I think DeAndre Swift absolutely has the three down potential, the, the potential to be used, like I said, as a weapon in the past game and not just like screens and dump offs and that sort of thing. I think you can line up Swift in the slot and use him, use him in that manner. Um, that I think that's just all going to depend on how they, how far they actually go with his usage. I think this is one of the cases where you know there there are some incumbents um, in the way for for a lot of these guys. Honestly, there's even though we like a lot of these landing spots, there's a lot of guys who are who are going behind someone who at least on paper should be entrenched as a starter. But DeAndre Swift is someone I could see, and maybe this is my carry on Johnson hate shining through, but Swift is someone I could see coming in and just kind of booting carry on to the side. And he becomes more of a, of a two to Swift's one and not necessarily a, a one, a one B kind of scenario. I'm not, I'm not, I can't remember how you felt about carry on Johnson. So I'd be, I'm curious to get your thoughts on on this whole situation. I, I think if Carryon Johnson can stay healthy, I think he can be. Um, I don't know if he's ever somebody. I mean, he's not an elite back by any means, but I think he has. Uh, I think he has all the tools in his toolkit, if you will, to be a you know an above average running back. Let's put it that way. But he hasn't been able to stay healthy, and we've seen that with other guys like Arian Foster over his career, and you know other guys like that who've just never been able to stay healthy. Dalvin Cook, who the first couple of years had the same issue. Now the the Vikings never went in and, and did something like this, so I, I don't know what 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 this means. And I think it could end up being a fifty fifty split or something like that, where they kind of cannibalize each other a little bit, unless one of them really takes the lead. But you know, there, there's a lot to like with DeAndre Swift in, in his game. You know, uh, he was one of the uh, leaders in yards created. He also uh, 
led the led the class and uh, he created five plus yards on 34 percent of his carries, which was number one in this class. Uh, you know, the target share was nice, 10.1. Um, again, he wasn't a workhorse back for Georgia, which is just Georgia's mo. But I think he enters a situation where this could end up being good. He's somebody that, like in redraft this year, I wouldn't want to take. At least as things stand, I would not want to take any higher right now probably than like the 8th or ninth round, maybe 10th round, something like that. Um, it's, it's, he's just a tough uh, guy to r- right now to really judge just because I mean, we're going to have to do this with all these guys, really. Because like I mentioned, I mean, we're going to keep this going to be kind of the theme is kind of see how things shake out. But early indication is he's not somebody that I'm as excited about because I do think Carryon Johnson is going to have somewhat of a role. And then... So I, th- I think we're right there with that. So another guy that I think we could make a case that doesn't really have a ton in his way is Cam Akers, right? Unfortunately for Cam Akers, as Cam Akers enters a situation, is not much different than what he was in in college. I mean, he was in one of the worst run-blocking offensive lines um, in college at Florida State. Now he goes to and drafted by the Rams, which again, you know, second he was pick, pick, pick 20 of the second round. But if you look, there, there's some... Some things to, to take away from here, like right, Pro Football Focus has the Rams as the worst run blocking offense, or one of the worst run run offenses in the, or one of the worst offensive lines in the league. They were ranked thirty second. Yeah. <laughs> Remix. Uh, so, so <laughs> but I think there's some Two other things. Of the whitest dudes on YouTube right now. I know, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I, you can't see, but I, you know, I got my new you know, my white New Balances on. You know, I mean, I don't, but you know. Anyway, but if you but if you look at the Rams uh, on Football Outsiders, I think there's some other things you can take away because they're 18th in power rank. They were 14th in second level uh, yards. So I mean, I, there's some stuff to be there, right? I mean, they were able to make Todd Gurley's old ass with or not old ass, but his with his uh, old man knees uh, somewhat relevant last year as well. And so I think that there's some things to like here. Like, I don't think their offensive line is as bad as everybody else wants to make them out to be, at least in terms of run blocking. I know people look at pro football focus. I love a lot of stuff that pro football focus does, but their grades are the last thing I ever look at. I will never cite their grades. I don't care about their grades. They are subjective as fuck. I have no idea who's putting that together. I'm not saying they're not smart people, um, and I'm not trying to say that and like trash them at all, but their grades very often are really bad. And I, I'm not, I, I don't feel comfortable trying to use that as my barometer of what I think about something. I think there's other places we can go. We have enough data now that you can go and start putting this stuff together. You're and make your own judgment on this stuff. So I do think there is a, some of it's being overblown a little bit in terms of their offensive line. And it's going to be the overarching theme that you hear about these guys, uh, about about him or Daryl Henderson, whichever one uh, emerges from this. But that's what everyone's going to be talking about is how bad the offensive line is. You're, you're, this is going to be the theme all offseason. I think some of it's lazy analysis. Between the two of them, Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson, I do like Cam Akers more. Now, Daryl Henderson wasn't given a big opportunity last year, so we don't have a ton of, to go off of. But the opportunities that he was given, I wasn't overly impressed. I, I didn't see the guy that everybody hyped up. And I remember all last offseason, everybody was all over, just had Daryl Henderson's nuts just hanging right over. <laughs> just, just, you know what I'm saying? Just love them some Daryl Henderson, right? It, it was disgusting. And like every, we kept seeing his ADP rise. It was like seventh, eighth round. I was like, what in the fuck is happening right now? This is ridiculous. Daryl Henderson should not be going the seventh or eighth round. And we said it all offseason, all off, and we just kept saying it, saying it, saying it. And obviously we were right. But there's a lot of people that, that fell into that trap of taking him so early. And it never made sense to me. But anyways, what is your what is your take on this and how do you feel about these two? 
Well, the thing about Daryl Henderson and him, you not being impressed with, you know, the, the touches that he did get, it's because he's not good. Like the, the, like I fell into the Daryl Henderson trap as well, but whenever I watched him at Memphis, you saw a guy who was super explosive, right? But every time you saw him make a big play, there was a, a bus that could have been driven through the hole that he ran through. Anytime there was any sort of, you know, any sort of muck, any sort of garbage up front between the offense and defensive line, he, he, he literally couldn't do anything, but I fell into it of, because the year before that was a really, that was actually a really good offensive line, no matter what you looked at, whether it was PFF or football outsiders, no matter what it was. But like, I, I don't think we took the losses of, they lost two guys, uh, Saffold and somebody else. I, I can't remember. Um, but I, I think that's the reason why he couldn't beat out somebody like Malcolm Brown. So, um, so that is my that is my piece on Daryl Henderson. But as far as Cam Akers, I do think we saw him produce in a similarly bad situation with uh, with Florida State's offensive line. We've talked about it a bunch on here. So I do think that he is someone who can make more out of what may be a below average situation. And I think it's a really good point you bring up as as far as like I you're not hearing maybe it's because of the offensive line narrative, but you're really not hearing too many people talk about acres being like for redraft purposes anyway, like the guy, maybe we should be moving to the top of our list because I mean, it's Henderson, it's Brown. I wish it were John Kelly who are, who are actually in there, but I, I think we have to, I think it's time to put that to rest. So um, Cam Akers might actually be, best situated um i mean i know you disagree with that because you know i've i've seen the the scars on your knuckles there's i think they're still you know still bleeding and open from all the fights you've been having out in the in the twitter streets just throwing haymakers down on everybody but um yeah man cam makers i think he's someone that we for redraft purposes and and for dynasty honestly he was one of our favorite one of our favorite prospects coming in I think needs to be bumped up a little bit higher on on rankings lists, or at least or, or at least talked about at in the in the same vein. No, I I agree with that actually, and I, I think that's a, a good take. And you're right. Uh, you know, we'll get to it in a minute, but uh, you know, I've been uh, I've been out here fighting, and uh, it, it is what it is. It's, it's what I do. But I think there's also people that are stuck on take lock pre-draft of what they what, what they thought about people on Twitter who uh, will not let it go. And, and people automatically gravitate whatever they could find. So like when Akers was drafted, right, immediately they were like, oh, oh terrible landing spot. Cam Akers is going to be a bum. That offensive line is so bad. Like, oh, my God. And I'm, I'm like, I'm like, dude, like, just, like that, that's fucking a terrible take. One, like, can we, let's talk about this. The Rams offense was not the Rams offense last year, and we, we talked about that a lot. Some of it was offensive Correct. line play. Some of it was just, uh, I don't know, just a, a terrible year. Just a lot of uh, bad things all, all at once. But I do think that this team, this offense, can be, get back to the, the offense that we once uh, saw from the year before. And if it does, that is great news for Cam Akers, like fantastic news because that's what we that's what we want in fantasy football is a target running backs and great offenses. Like that hasn't changed at all. And so I do think that Cam Akers is being slept on and I think that he could end up being right there in the same conversation with a Jonathan Taylor or a Clyde Edwards Hilaire for redraft purposes this year. And even for a long-term outlook, like I think that this could be a good spot. The Rams really did themselves a disservice. They they went out and really tried to go all in and spent all this money and acquire all these players. They realized it didn't work, 
and they realized they fucked up. Now, they were able to make it to a Super Bowl, which is it's better than some teams are able to say that they do this type of stuff. I mean, look at the Texans, who have done fucking nothing with, with, with everything that they've done. But the Rams have at least made it to the Super Bowl. Sorry, I, General Zod. Yeah, and I think they finally they finally figured it out. And so they're, they're starting to like tear it down a little bit and kind of like uh, recoup. And I think that, you know, within a year or two, I think they'll be right back to being, you know, uh, a really solid team. I think that they have a possibility to go to the playoffs this year anyway. But I think some of it's being overblown a little bit. But I do like Cam Akers. And I think that, you know, you can make an argument that he is the third or fourth guy, uh, you know, that people should be looking at, at least among redraft and even under Dynasty's uh, perspective, depending on how you want to look at it. Now, the the next one and the big and this and the, the fourth guy is J.K. Dobbins, right? This is a, this is another situation where he's going to be right there with Mark Ingram. Now, next year, Mark Ingram is a free agent, right? And again, this is kind of the this is this is what we're going with. That's the theme of the night. Is that uh, him and Mark Ingram are in the same backfield? And I know a lot of people love J.K. Dobbins, and I do too. And I think my opinion of him, redraft and dynasty, are are, are where things differ. Dynasty, I think you can make a case that he's the second or third best running back in this class. Like, I wouldn't even be upset with it. I think it's right there. Redraft for this year, no. I really, right now, want nothing to do with either one of them. And people may say that's crazy. I just think both of them are going to go a little bit higher than I want to mess around with them. And that's my problem with, with, with J.K. Dobbins or Mark Ingram. I think they could end up being overdrafted. Now, if something happens or we get more information, then my again, I, I keep feeling I'm a, a broken record on that. But J.K. Dobbins right now, he's probably my fifth or sixth guy in terms of redraft that I'm excited about about, about messing around with. And I know I know that I, I know that's crazy, but because I think he's he's in one of the better offenses with with the Ravens that I get that. But and I know they run the ball a lot. It, it's it's just I think I think that they're going to end up cannibalizing each other, and I don't think that they're, those targets are going to be as valuable, or he he is going to be able to have as as many reliable weeks, if you will. So that's my issue with J.K. Dobbins, at least for this one year. But after this, like it's wheels up for J.K. Dobbins, and it could be wheels up this year. Yeah, I think we're going to need the the Mark Ingram injury in order in order for that to happen. Because if you, if you look at what Mark Ingram did last year, he was he was actually good in that in that offense. I mean, as a 30-year-old running back, he still had over 1000 yards, 10 touchdowns in that offense. And then not only that in terms of taking away from like the running back carries, then you also have Lamar Jackson who's like one of the, you know, most prolific running quarterbacks that we've we've seen in in quite some time so he's gonna he's obviously gonna be taking away carries I mean if you look at last year Ingram had uh, 202 attempts in 15 games Lamar Jackson was second on that team with 176 and then it jumped uh, dropped all the way down to 133 with with Gus Edwards so I mean, maybe do we see Mark Ingram's drop down a little bit? Maybe Lamar's drop down a little bit, and he maybe J.K. could get like around one hundred and fifty, kind of take that that Gus Edwards role. Maybe um, I think that is an important distinction to make between redraft and dynasty. I think for redraft purposes of the big five, he's probably going to be fifth. Um, but but for dynasty, this might be one of my favorite spots, favorite landing spots. You you posed the, the question earlier. Um, that one, this one is probably mine just because of the, first of all, just a, a run first offense, a really fun offense to watch. And then also the, the marriage of scheme and player. 
right? They obviously did a lot of the a lot of the option, a lot of the zone read stuff at at Ohio State. Now he's going there with Lamar Jackson, so I think that that's just a perfect landing spot for somebody like J.K. Dobbins. And we we'd been talking about how some people were kind of. I think you had a, a little bit of a concern too with him coming in at two oh nine, but. He's going to have space, man, between Lamar and the speed they have outside. Got Duvernay in the slot now. Mark Andrews patrolling the middle of the field. So I, I think you're not going to you're not going to see J.K. Dobbins slamming into the center and guard too often in, in Baltimore. So Yeah, so I, I don't have anything else to add to that. I, I think that that's, that's pretty much right there on spot with him. Now – um, past that, I think this is where people are going to really start to differ on what they what what, what their thoughts are. Um, well, let, let, let's just let's just get it out of the way. Let's talk about Bayshon, right? Let's just talk about him, saving him. You know, this is I the know most. Why you were trying to roll into that so coy. Just just let it out, buddy. Just yeah. just go. I've, for I've it. been waiting. The I've floor, been waiting. The floor is yours. I've been waiting to unleash this the, this this a little bit. I don't understand where people come from with, with, with Keyshawn Vaughn. I've heard things like, "Oh, he, you know, he can't be a he can't be a um, do it all back. He can't be a three down back. He's not big enough." I'm like, "The fuck are you talking about? Are we talking about the same guy? We're not talking about Darrington Evans here, right? When we're talking about Keyshawn Vaughn, I mean, let's just bring it up. You know, tail of the tape, if you will. He's 5'10", 214. Like, what are we talking about that he can't be a three down back? Are you kidding me?" You look at his. You look at his opportunities. Okay, as a pass catcher, he was he was you know ten percent target share. That's right there on on point with with Jonathan Taylor or 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 DeAndre Swift or these other guys, right? Like that's certainly right where he can he can go in. And he, he was second in yards created, you know, and um and, and stuff like that. And so when I look at this, and then I then I look at the opportunity, and I see, huh, who's in his way? What, what what's the opportunity here? And this is the most important part of, of, of the equation with, with Keyshawn Vaughn is that it's fucking Ronald Jones. We're not talking about somebody that we should be worried about. Yes, Ronald Jones was better last year. I will give Ronald Jones credit. He was not a complete body bag as he was the year before. But that's not but I'm not but I'm not gonna sit there and go out on a limb. Like people are like, oh, Ronald Jones is a thing. I'm like we just need to make Ronald I'm like, no, Ronald Jones was not a thing anymore. And Ron, and to be honest with you, the Bucs have no allegiance to Ronald Jones. They didn't draft Ronald Jones. Bruce Arians didn't bring him in. This is his guy. And I honestly believe that Keyshawn Vaughn could end up being his David Johnson. Like, I truly believe that. And I think Keyshawn Vaughn... Now, Keyshawn Vaughn's not elite at anything, right? He's, he's, he's above average at almost everything that he does. Um, he was, you know, he was 27th in, in, this, among, uh, in the entire nation last year and missed tackles forced. He was, you know, his 30th or 743 yards after contact was great. His college dominator was fantastic. Playing at Vanderbilt, of all places, a terrible program. And so when I look at Keyshawn Vaughn, especially for this year, I look at him and I say, you know what? Keyshawn Vaughn can easily be... I, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he finishes the top two or three uh, rookie running back in this class. Um He's he's in a he's in a dynamic offense. He's in a great offense, and I, I think he can be a three down back at the very least. He's certainly the pass catcher because that's not what Ronald Jones is. Ronald Jones is not a good pass catcher, so at least you can pencil him in there because all, all the only other option is there is what Dare Agumbalawe. I mean, he's the only other option. So I think he's certainly the pass catching back. But like I said, he's certainly big enough to be a three down back. Now people bring up, oh, well, but is Bruce Arians going to give him the opportunity? Um, you know, you can go back and kind of point to 
David Johnson his rookie year, right? And I remember David Johnson his rookie year because people were so frustrated. Like, man, are they gonna? Why will they not put David Johnson, you know, a, as the lead back, right? Because he was so explosive every week. It sounded like when anytime he t- t- had the ball in his hands, what he ended up, I think, with like eight touchdowns or something like that his rookie year. He had very little usage, but the difference here is there's not there's not a veteran here in this backfield, right? It's Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn. And I, I my, my money's all over Keyshawn Vaughn. I think Keyshawn Vaughn should be a lock in redraft to be a top five running back. I have him right now, I think, ranked at 22 or 23. And we'll probably end up bringing him higher uh, as things progress. Just because I, I bet on talent. And I think he's much better than what people give him credit for. And I don't know. I don't understand what people uh, are seeing with Keyshawn Vaughn. And why people seem to be as a little bit lower on him than I am. I know there's some people that that uh, agree with my my take, if you will. But where where are you coming in on Keyshawn Vaughn? Yeah, Keyshawn Vaughn was my was easily pre-draft. He was easily my sixth running back, the top five that we've already talked about, and then Keyshawn Vaughn. Like he was like in his own little space, and then it was like your P Ryan, your Mosses, and and that sort of thing. Um, the thing that I keep going back to because like. I've been kind of following around. You're sending me screenshots of everything that's been going on the past couple of days. And I'm like, man, I, I don't know. Like Ro- Rojo wasn't that bad. He like, he was improved. But then the thing that I keep landing on was whenever Arians gave him the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, it was what two weeks. And then fucking Peyton Barber was right back in and splitting carries with him. And then they let Peyton Barber walk this off season. You know what I mean? So like that, like that, I'm like, man, but like maybe Ronald Jones could, because like, I, I obviously this is one of the big spots that we talked about landing spots, you know, pre pre NFL draft. If you know, it was Tampa Bay, it was Kansas city. Like those were the top two. We really want to see one of these exciting rookies go to, we got the Tampa Bay landing spot, with Keyshawn Vaughn. Like I loved it. Then I was like, all right, hold on. Don't let your Rojo hate go too far here. Maybe he still could be involved. And I think he like I don't I don't I'm not foreseeing a 85 percent touch. Oh, I, I don't either. I don't either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. that's not what I believe. Yeah. So I, I still think he's going to be involved to some degree. But I like you said, me like if if he ends up in terms of the rookies having like at least the highest the highest amount of touches, the highest touch percentage. I don't think that should surprise anybody this year. Um, the the one knock on his collegiate profile is he like he's already like twenty three years old, I I believe, but that's because he transferred from Illinois to Vandy. And back in Keyshawn Vaughn's day, you had to sit out a year whenever you transferred. So I I think that's the thing, and I think one of the reasons why a lot of people aren't that excited about him is because of the two programs he played for. Like nobody is tuning in on Saturday outside of the alums and the sickos like Travis May and being like, all right, let's see some Illinois football. Let's see some Vanderbilt football. But in the SEC, he produced. So Vaughn is a guy that we we have both been excited about. And I think this landing spot you couldn't ask more for. Dynasty wise, how long does, you know, how long of a leash does he have being drafted where he was and how long does Arian stick around? I, I think that's yet to be determined, but I think for, for dynasty purposes, you should basically, first of all, you should be playing in like a two to three year window anyway, but especially whenever it comes to running backs, basically like for me in dynasty, it's like, what am I going to get out of this rookie contract? And then I'm not even worrying about it after that. So 
for redraft, I would I would probably have him higher than I would in dynasty, but that's not necessarily a a knock on him as so much as it is like other situational factors. For me, like I, cause I think he's going to be end up being somebody that I can have as long as uh, he doesn't jump the rails when it doesn't right now seem like that's going to be the case. So if that doesn't happen, like I think he's somebody that we can get in the later rounds of a of a redraft, right? Um, of of I think maybe 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th round, something like that. Would be, and I will be targeting him everywhere in that scenario because I feel like that his path to touches is, is the thing that I care about the most. I think is one of the easiest to to take over that backfield. Now, I don't believe that he, like I, like you mentioned, I don't think he's going to be a 70, like he's going to get 70% of the backfield. I don't think that. I think he could end up being the 55 to 60 range. And I do also think he's going to get the pass, or succeed most of the pass catching work as well. He's going to, he's going to get most of that. And with those, all those things together, like that's why I am so high on him. And I just don't, it doesn't make sense to me, the, the disconnect that people are having with this and why people aren't more excited with him. It's just kind of like, again, he's kind of like, oh, you know, it's not a bad landing spot. But free draft, everyone's like, man, whoever goes to Tampa, like, that's going to be a great spot. Then the guy who goes there, and it's like, ah, oh, you know, it's not really what I was wanting, you know, so it is what it is. But anyways, uh, we can keep moving there. But Bayshon Vaughn, uh, I'm going I'm to trademark it. I'm going to send it to Keyshawn Vaughn. Like, hey, bro, let's make some shirts. Bayshon Vaughn, you know, so it's going to be great. I love it. Anyways, let's move on. The next couple of guys we can kind of talk about, we don't spend a ton of time on. AJ Dillon, what the fuck are you doing, Green yeah. Bay? Green Bay, really? Like, I know this has been, it's been like uh, the great thing to do is shit all over the Packers this week because <laughs> everybody's done it because of how they handled this draft. Like, it was truly one of the worst drafts I've ever seen. And by drafting Jordan Love in the first, was like, oh my uh. God. What are you doing, Green Bay? Like you don't need a, a quarterback. Yeah, all things you could probably use right now. Let's let's take a quarterback, and and then they follow that up with AJ Dillon in the second round. When you have Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, like what are you doing, Green Bay? Maybe a wide receiver. Maybe I don't know. You know, maybe a tight end would, would wouldn't be so terrible. Uh, you know, whatever. You know, something to help your your aging quarterback who's still what he's thirty five or thirty six. Like he's not like ancient. In terms of where quarterbacks are playing now, I mean, we're seeing Brady and or we're seeing Brady and, and Breeze play into their forties. I'm not saying that or Aaron Rodgers is going to do that, but I don't know. Maybe help that guy out. You know. Anyways, AJ Dillon is another guy that I've we've kind of uh, I've had discussions with people about just because I think it's somewhat fascinating because he is drafted in the second round. He has better draft capital than some of these other dudes. Now, year one, I don't think that he's somebody again, that I would have a ton of interest in redraft, but Dynasty, like you have to have some interest in him because next year, Aaron, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are both free agents, and if they don't bring them back, this is his backfield next year, right? So, I don't know. Like, wh- where do you come in on Kev, I was, uh, I was, I was not laughing at you there. I, I just, oh my god, dude. So I just pulled up um, Spot Track and the Aaron Rodgers contract since we were just touching on uh, Jordan Love a little bit with a pre June first release or trade of Aaron Rodgers. It is a fifty one million dollar dead cap. Like I almost feel like that can't be right. Right? Like there's like I have never heard. Of fifty-one million dollars in dead cap now, post June first release or trade, that does drop down to to twenty million on on both of those. But like, I, I don't know. And then the same thing for for next year, it's thirty-one million pre June first, fourteen million post. Like, th- like so basically, they're like at least for two more years, they're not getting out of that contract, and then you're only getting two, three years if they pick up his fifth-year option for – anyway, 
back to AJ Dillon. I, I did. I, I'm not interested. I, I, I'm really not like I, I was never as all in as you were on Aaron Jones going into last year for, for redraft purposes, but obviously he had, he, he balled out last year with the AJ Dillon thing. I, so I was, uh, I was talking to one of my buddies about this today. So 18 touchdowns last year. I think most of us thought, like I know, Kev, your your favorite buzzword in fantasy football is regression. I think we we're seeing regression coming from Aaron Jones and with with his touchdowns anyway. But now you like, what are you bringing in a you know six foot three, two hundred and fifty pound running back for? Probably short, you know, short yard situation goal line. So. We were expecting Aaron uh, Aaron Jones touchdowns to come down in the first place. Now AJ Dillon is in there. I, I I really don't know what to expect from him. Obviously, that offensive line needed help. That's where a lot of people thought they were going to go in the first second round. They 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 obviously neglected to do that. So I I mean I I just don't know. And if you look at somebody like AJ Dillon, you brought this up about his catching and what Boston College did as a team. He liked it. Like if you watch two games of his like you can see the dude literally just has center blocks for hands like it's it's actually impressive that he had like the eight catches or whatever it was that he has like i like i don't foresee him being used in that in that way i don't see the lateral agility so i i think he's gonna be like a very down and distance specific kind of running back unless you can get him behind just an all-star line where he has the hole and he can get moving once he gets moving in a straight line the dude has speed. Like I'm not taking anything away from his like straight line athleticism. Obviously his verticals, his jumps and everything were crazy, but AJ Dillon, I'm just really not interested. Hopefully there's somebody in my dynasty leagues that feels stronger about him. That'll bump him up. Like for me, he's kind of someone I'm just like pushing off to the side. I'm, I'm honestly not even really, not even really looking at to be, to be completely honest. Yeah, I'd probably agree. It's just, it's, it's a tough situation, right? Because uh, I am a Aaron Jones truther. I have been since he came into the league. This certainly affects Aaron Jones and, and hurts him a little bit. Um, I don't think it kills Aaron Jones. I, I, there are some things that concern me. Like, you know, like you mentioned, he, he was number one in total touchdowns last year with 19. Uh, he was 11th in red zone touches with 44. And you have to expect those things are going to drop with, with AJ Dillon now there. I do think that we, we, like you mentioned with Boston College, right? Like, if no one would ever would have said anything, like you wouldn't expect it. But like I sit there and you go back and you and you look at their numbers, like they were not a prolific passing offense whatsoever. Like last year, like you mentioned, their their number one their number one receiver only had twenty nine receptions. Like that is an almost unheard of type stuff. Like that is anemic, right? The year before, I was like, okay, maybe it was just a one year thing. They just you know fed uh, AJ Dillon because he was literally the entire offense that they had at Boston College. And it was not anything different. I think the year before it was like thirty or thirty-three receptions for their number one wide receiver. So this was just not a heavy run ball or heavy pass volume offense. So I will say that we have limited sample size with AJ Dillon to be able to make a really good education. Now I, I get it, uh, and some of the opportunities that he had that that uh, he was not able to, but he still was able to get thirteen receptions last year, and then eight the year before that. Like I think he could at least very well be and end up being like a functional pass catcher, not somebody that I think that's going to ever have like 50 60 receptions but if he had a year where he had 20 or 30 or whatever fine and like a lot of the concerns you have with him 
I think that he is a better prospect than possibly next year because it could end up being his backfield. We'll have to see how everything shakes out here in this because right now, like it's a really overcrowded situation and not one that I would want for this season unless an injury happens. So like Aaron Jones, who's had some injury concerns of his own. Um, so if something were to happen to him, like he's an injury away of probably being the number one running back on the Green Bay Packers. And I think people should at least take the log that away and at least monitor AJ Dillon because he could end up being like a waiver wire steal if something were to happen to AJ Dillon. I think that's certainly possible. And to where they would probably use Jamal Williams as the pass catching back because that is a lot what happened last year as well with Aaron Jones. Um, is that sometimes they would take him off the field in those pass catching opportunities because he's a better uh, pass ball or. Um, pass blocker than what Aaron Jones is. So we'll see. So I don't want to spend too much time on, on AJ Dillon, but I just thought he was somebody that I, I would at least monitor and log away. Zach Moss, we don't have to go too far. Into, we know that I'm not a huge Zach Moss fan. Turtle, turtle. Um, you know, that I put on the graphic. If, you, if you're not watching on the show, you, you can't see it, but uh, there's a Zach Moss graphic up. turtles. And I put a turtle next to him. Th- this is uh, a guy, there, there are people, if you will, in the industry, people in the industry that really like Zach Moss. A little bit overzealous about Zach Moss. He enters a situation with Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary's not going away. Do you think, is he, is he, is he used mostly as a banger or or do you do you think um, they'll basically cannibalize each other? Where are you coming in on Zach Moss uh, and, and, and Devin Singletary? Uh, I, I hate this for Devin Singletary. Not like, I don't think that Zach Moss necessarily like eats into like a big chunk of, of what he had um, last year. But I, I think anytime you bring in a guy like Zach Moss, who you said that, you know, you, you have a strong dislike for, but we, we like him for what he is, right? Like he does bring something to. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't hate Zach Moss. I hate the hype that surrounds Zach Moss because I don't right. think it's warranted. That's my issue with Zach Moss. Do I think that this could end up being a decent landing spot for him? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it could, right? I don't hate Zach Moss. I just don't like the hype. So keep continue. Right. So we, we, we like him for what he is. He can bring something to an offense. I do think this caps Singletary's like high, like his his highest range of outcomes, his highest ceiling, right? But then you know what? What? Whenever you add that into an offense with a quarterback like Josh Allen, is going to take away touches, and he's especially going to be taking away red zone touches. I think they, I think they kind of cannibalize each other. You know what I mean? Um, is he going to be more of like a a short yardage? Like, is he kind of going to be like a refreshed Frank Gore? Um, I think whenever we were talking about him when he got drafted, uh, I, I forget who's on at that point. My apologies, but maybe it was maybe it was Robbie. I think was was talking about him. Um, kind of just brought up the fact that Gore had over a hundred carries last year, and I don't think a lot of a lot of people really realize that. So hopefully, for my sake, for the Devin Singletary hive. That that is kind of what we get with with Zach Moss, just kind of like a a refreshed Frank Gore sort of role. Um, but I, I think, unfortunately, I do think they kind of just cannibalize each other. And then you add in the red zone goal line and just the overall carries that the Josh Allen is going to take away. Um, I think Zach Moss is is a, like a late second, probably kind of uh, rookie pick. 
because of all the factors that I that I just laid out. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, I agree. I think there's a scenario where Zach Moss ends up uh, taking over as sort of the early down back, and Devin Singletary turns into the more pass catching back. But I mean, they are um, strikingly um, both unathletic. Like if you wanted to have the the two most unathletic in terms of the straight line speed and stuff like that, uh, running backs in a backfield, you got them. Uh, and Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. I think Devin Singletary. I would will be more not close. let that stand. I, I know. <laughs> I I know Devin Singletary's combine was legitimately awful and probably one of the worst that we've seen. But if you watch his tape at uh, in college, um, that 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 just did not add up. Did he have that blazing long speed and be able to run run away from a bunch of guys or anything like that? No, he was getting caught from behind. But, dude, his agility and his his ability to evade tackles, juke, to duck under guys, like he, he was way more athletic, hashtag on tape, than he was than he was at the Combine. So I will not let that stand, Mr. Steele. Okay. What a, it is what it is. What it is. Um who so, are who are, who are some guys that you know? Let's let's kind of put a bow on this. Uh, yeah, we need to, yeah back. we need to wrap this up. We've been going an hour on the running backs. You know, we want to talk about wide receivers, and we still have all these wide receivers. So hashtag on brand. Give give me uh just just throw out some quick names. Who are some you know some sleeper guys? Some guys you're going to be keeping keeping tabs on. Well, I, I wish we could have it longer, and we have all off season or the rest of this to talk about it. Anthony McFarland, I think he is in a terrific spot. Love Anthony McFarland. He was number one among this class in yards created. Um, there's a lot to like about him, his blazing speed that he has, 4-4 speed, which is 92nd percentile. He has 107.0 speed score, 85th percentile. Burst score is something to be desired. But with everything with everything added up, like I think Anthony McFarlane is in a great spot in Pittsburgh, right? James Conner is the poster boy for injury, uh, you know, right? Like every year the dude gets banged up. Like he just can't just make it through a year, uh, you know, unhurt. And I, I think we're in for that again this year. If anything happens to him, and I know, I know Jalen Samuels is there, but Jalen Samuels had his opportunities and has never done a, a damn thing with them. So that's my thing. I, I think Anthony McFarlane out the gate is the number two running back. And if anything happens, he's stepping right into a role where I feel like he has the size enough. I mean, he's 5'8", 208. That's big enough to be a three-down back. And I think Anthony McFarland has a, has a – it certainly should be a, a sleeper in redraft formats, somebody that I would want to be stashing on my bench because he has the upside to end up, again, winning you a fantasy championship if anything were to happen to James Conner. And I would be willing to bet that something happens to James Conner. And again, like everybody else, James Conner's in the last year of his deal. So I love Anthony McFarlane. For this reason, the other one is Darrington Evans, who landed in Tennessee. I really like that landing spot for him. Going, you know, being paired with with Derrick Henry, it's going to be that lightning thunder uh, scenario with with Darrington Evans, and I, I really like him as well. Um, he ended up having 96 percentile 40 yard dash, 441, 107.3, 86 percentile speed score, and 125.4, 82nd percentile burst score. Really like him as well. Uh, would like to have him be used a little bit more as a as a um, as a pass catcher. Um, some things about him, a lot of people, especially with his size, he's 5'10", 203, probably someone who could stand to put on a little bit of weight. But if you look at his yards created, um, he was 7th in yards created. However, he his yards created per attempt up the middle was actually 3rd with 4.76. So he's proven that he can actually, you know, run – be an efficient running back through the middle, especially at his size. So I like Darren St. Evans, and I think he's a sleeper. And again, if Darren, if Derrick Henry, who uh, was franchised this year, doesn't come back, Darren St. Evans could be in a situation where this is his backfield. And another positive is if this if third 
offense is not as dynamic as it was last year, or their defense isn't as good, and they are in negative game scripts, that is going to kill Derrick Henry, and Darrington Evans will be the beneficiary of that. So those are things to monitor Darrington Evans. I think he can have standalone value, and I think he's definitely going to be the pass-catching back in this backfield. And I, I, so I think he's somebody that certainly people should be monitoring. So and who are you? Who are your guys that, you, that you're really liking? Yeah, I like the uh, I like the Evans call as well. Um, it's it's almost too bad that we went an hour into the running backs already, so we can go back and forth on McFarland a little bit um, because I have the the opposite feeling of you. But two two guys that I that I'm interested in for the for the running back position: Antonio Gibson to Washington and uh, DJ Dallas to Seattle. Um, both just because of because of the opportunity that lays ahead of them. I don't think there's anyone ahead of either running back that like I look at him like, well, he really has to get by that guy. So with Gibson, the only guy that I really view as like could be the guy to hold him back would be Geis, but there's injuries there. Peterson is impressive as he's been the past couple of years. He's older. He's not going to be around too much longer. Um, Gibson got uh, some better draft capital than I think a lot of people were expecting. And then DJ Dallas, um, as much as we want to bang on Pete Carroll for just being run heavy, not unleashing Russell Wilson the way that he should. The one thing you can say about him is if, if you perform well in practices and you don't screw up, you're going to get your shot. Like Matt Flynn, they brought in, paid all that money. Russ Wilson, third-round draft pick. We heard the the rumbles in the, the offseason of like, hey, it's going to be Russ Wilson. No one wanted to believe it. Russ Wilson's a starter. Same thing happened with Rashad Penny and Chris Carson. Penny in the first round kept talking about Carson. Carson ended up being the starter. So with, with DJ Dallas, if, you know, if Chris Carson continues to keeps – keeps fumbling and you know Rashad Penny just can't get on the field I think DJ Dallas is someone that we could see get those kind of touches so he's he's someone I'd be logging away kind of the same way that you were feeling about AJ Dillon for for redraft purposes anyway that he could be one of those hot waiver pickups for uh for 2020 yeah yeah I mean I don't know Antonio Gibson what scares me with him is that I just I don't love that backfield with with uh, Darius Geis and Adrian Peterson there, so it's it's definitely crowded. But like like I said, like I like I don't think that there's. I like, love I, the prospects. I think he's rolled. So this isn't a terrible situation. And let's be honest, Darius Geis has not been another. He's another guy that's just never been able to stay healthy. So right. I, I could see a scenario where he ends up, um, you know, being an interesting prospect. And like I said, I love his talent. I wish he could have went somewhere else. I'd love to see him go to like a Seattle or or something like that, where there's a little bit more clearer path. Because I don't know Tampa what, Bay. Yeah, but mm-hmm. at the same time, there's not much, you know, there's no allegiance to Darius Geist there either from, from you know, Ron Rivera and stuff like that. Right. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with, with Antonio Gibson. I think he's interesting. And just really quickly, you're wrong on Anthony McFarland. And that'll wrap up part one of the show for the for this week where we talked about all the rookie running backs and their landing spots. Um, thank you so much for everybody checking it out. Uh, be sure to tune back in on Friday where we go into the wide receivers and kind of take a look at them from a redraft and dynasty perspective. Like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, if there's anything that you want to hear, you, you know, a topic, a conversation, you know, whether it's on a keeper league or 
roster construction or strategy based or anything like that be sure to you know hit us up on twitter at ff underscore authority or you can jump into our slack channel which is down in the show notes you just hit join for free boom sign up and you're in um it's going to get more and more busy as things start to go on uh, as we get closer and closer to the redraft season hopefully everything you know goes as planned and we actually get an nfl season this year so hope everybody's staying safe and like i said be sure to check out our show on friday and we'd love it if you go over and check out our youtube channel hit the subscribe button there it really helps us out really appreciate all the all the support and we actually have some uh, some fun giveaways we're going to be doing soon uh, we actually are in the process of kind of designing some shirts and stuff like that we're going to be giving some of them away to our to our listeners um so you know like i said be sure to check that out you know we'll have some stuff on youtube as well so hit subscribe over there we really appreciate it helping us grow and we want to give back to the community any way we can so we're going to be doing some stuff like that we might be doing some like free giveaways for like um closer to the redraft season maybe jumping on and spending 15 20 minutes talking to you guys um one-on-one on you know who to draft or some some stuff like that or even help you draft stuff like that so we got a lot of fun stuff coming um you know we're, we're happy that the nfl draft is starting to wrap up a little bit in this con this, this content so we can start moving on to some other fun stuff i really like i've said before want to get into some like keeper league based stuff roster construction stuff that a lot of people don't spend a lot of time talking about because it's not as sexy as talking about your favorite sleepers or overall overvalued or undervalued guys well, we will get into that but um i think there's there's room for more content that just doesn't really get covered maybe some super, super flex type stuff auction whatever uh we will be getting more into that stuff and um until then, hope everybody has a, has a good rest of the week, and we will talk to you again we on Friday. Peace. The role we play. Regrettably, time's come to send you on your way. We've seen it all. Bonfires of trust, flash floods of pain. It doesn't really matter, don't you worry, it'll all work out. No, it doesn't even matter, don't you worry, that ain't what it's all about. We hope you enjoy your stay. It's good to have you with us, even if it's just for the day. We hope you enjoy your stay. Outside the sun. Good to have you with us
Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.